It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon and tonight we have a special guest from the Turf District, Andrew Hoskins, who's stepping in and helping us out with uh, Heath in the States for a couple of weeks on vacation. I don't know if I appreciate him being in the States during CFL season. (laughs) He does have a life. (laughs) Hey, life comes before football. I mean, we we love football, love every minute of it. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm happy that, uh, you know, if he goes and it gives me a chance to come in and chat with you. So I'm not going to complain too loudly. Well, there you go. I guess there's always an upside. That's right. Yeah. So let's get into uh, some of the things that came out of the week that was in the Canadian Football League. And one of the things that was probably touched on lightly, but not really understood was the whole business of the dribbled ball. Now we're not talking basketball. We are talking football. And this is, again, a throwback to the Canadian Rugby Football Union, or just call it rugby elements that are still alive and well in the game. Just before halftime, Saskatchewan kicker Kari Vedic punts a ball, sort of pooches it actually, sends it down the field. It bounces back towards him. I don't know if he was told to what to do in that situation or not, but Vedic sort of swipes at it with his left leg and kicks it forward again. It hits a tie cat, bounces back to Vedvik. There's a scrum. The Rough Riders get the ball. There was a lot of discussion this is right at the half. A lot of discussion. They put one second back on the clock and they award Saskatchewan the ball because it was a dribbled ball. Mm-hmm. What is a dribbled ball? Well, I think it's safe to say that that's the first time that you or I have ever seen that. Uh, as a, But I, I, I'm sure it is a rule. I, I mean, I trust that they got that part right. But I, yeah, I had never seen that before. I'm What I, I was thinking that when he kicked it, again and then they recovered it but they didn't recover it because they only recovered it I think it was four or five yards ahead and so they didn't have enough to get the first down so I figured okay it was a turnover on downs but I didn't realize that with Vedvik being an onside player kicking it along the ground again and then recovering it now becomes a first down. Like I, I, it, they, it touched the Hamilton player. So they figured that that's change of possession bounced off and they got it. I, I, I'm not really sure the full rule and I'm sure you've looked it up, but I haven't, uh, I haven't had a chance to look it up yet, but I think it's one of those things, like you said, a throwback that, probably something they're now going to look at in the off season and go, is this a real thing? Or cause otherwise special teams coordinators would be like, let's try that again. <laughs> it's, it's not a bad idea. If you want to, a dribbled ball occurs when the ball is intentionally kicked along the ground while not in the normal possession or control of a player. Uh, it's a loose ball following a fumble, a block kick, a kickoff or a kick from scrimmage. And that's the fourth case that we saw such a dribbled ball may be legally touched or recovered by the kicker or anyone onside. Basically, to be onside, you have to be behind the kicker when he strikes the ball, if you're the team that's kicking it. We saw this earlier this season where that could have happened. Uh, Against Toronto, Charleston Hughes, there's a low snap, McLeod Bethel-Thompson misses it, and Charleston Hughes swats the ball with his hand to himself, picks it up and runs it in for a score. You think, touchdown, right? Everyone's excited. No, that 
type of play cannot be advanced. It's basically a, a forward lateral, what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Had he kicked it, which would have been a really risky maneuver, given that, <laughs> that Ethel Thompson was coming down, then he could have easily advanced the ball. Which is crazy, right? I, I had... I don't remember ever seeing this, and I, I've been a fan for a long time. I don't ever remember seeing that, but I guess that is uh, that. Hey, we learn something new every year watching this league, I guess, and that was the new one for me. For anyone that was around for the 1971 Grey Cup, and for most of us that weren't, there was a famous incident of a dribbled ball at the end of that football game. Calgary kicks the ball to Toronto in the final seconds of the game. And the Toronto returner muffs it, basically bobbles it, and decides not to let Calgary have the ball. He kicks it out of bounds. Hmm. Kicks it forward just ever so slightly, but out of bounds. He gave up possession at that moment because no one established control or touched it prior to it going out of bounds. So basically it became a kick. And Toronto gives up possession. Calgary runs out the clock, game over. Wow. It does happen. It has happened quite a bit. We've we have morphed away from it quite a bit in this league, but every once in a while, you see, a, especially after a fumble, the ball on the ground and the guy kicks it. Well, if he gets it or if anyone who is behind him when he kicked it gets it as it's being propelled that direction that he's going, fine. But if anyone's up in front of him and recovers it, uh-uh. Now, the other team, of course, has every opportunity to recover it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty, it's pretty wild. I didn't, uh, I, I enjoyed watching uh, the ref try and explain it. I will tell you that right now. <laughs> well, if there's anyone in the CFL that knows that rule, it'll be the head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Mike O'Shea. Knows the rule book inside and out, backwards and forwards, and can probably recite it word for word. It's him. He's been Fair. in a few of these situations where such circumstances have happened. More times than not, we see a dribbled ball in a kick-it-in, kick-it-out situation at the end of a game. Montreal and Toronto famously had one a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Those types of rules then start to come into play because the circumstances are vastly different. Yeah, well, of course. And when you're doing the kick-it-out, kick-it-in, go back and forth, we kind of expect that, kind of. But I didn't... I. In those plays, I wouldn't expect it to dribble along the ground and then kick it forward. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of funny that way, but uh, yeah, interesting rule and and made the game rather interesting for a couple of moments. Truthfully, it still keeps what there is distinct between the CFL and the NFL and other leagues really alive. It really keeps it at the forefront because we come across these situations every once in a while and we have this unique interpretation, the Charleston Hughes one against Toronto or the Vedvik against the Tiger Cats on Friday night. These things do happen. It makes the CFL what it is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, which is uh, which is fun and different, which is great. And that's why, uh, you know, they feature us on The Simpsons every now and again. That's exciting. Why does this field have two 50-yard lines? Yeah, there's Doug Flutie. Oh, anyway, it was fantastic. Yeah, Good weekend all the way around for CFL football. <laughs> the other thing, too, that I've seen with a couple of stadiums, Ottawa, Winnipeg, they put, instead of the C in the middle of the field, they put the 55. And right. I love that. Because that is a distinctive mark. That tells you you're in Canada. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. I, I'm good either way, the C or the, but the 55 is very cool. I, I like, I would love to see them go, you know, 
some teams have a retro night and then actually have the numbers be the retro numbers like that would look really cool. Right. And uh, throw that old CFL logo on the field for fun. And let's uh, let, let's let's truly make it a retro night. That'd be a blast several CFL logos that you could use, which would be fantastic. And they've done it in the past. I think it was, what, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, they had CFL traditions where they had the teams go back and wear a helmet or a jersey or both from a bygone era, most notably the 1960s, although some teams went into the 1970s. Either is cool. Yeah, I'd be totally fine with that. And we had the, yeah, we had the year where we had the the true gold helmets and and sleeves with the with the dark green uh, jerseys in Edmonton, and that was fantastic. So yeah, let's let's have a few more of those, a few retro nights, and and do it all the way up though. Don't just don't just do it halfway. Like put in the old numbers. Like make it feel like you're watching a game. Get get the field markings. Get the you know get the old stands on things on the side I, I don't know i'd i'd be excited about that it'd be kind of fun you talk about field markings if you ever watch a game from the early 60s and there's a bunch of them on youtube you can easily find one what look where the hash marks are in those games mm, it almost mm-hmm. looks like they're going to be out of bounds if they just line up over there that's true <laughs> that would be being that we just have brought them in and in and in yeah that would be interesting right yeah, but uh yeah no I, I i i like this whole idea let's get a little retro here and there not all the time but uniquely canadian at the very least anything it uh differentiates this game from all the rest i think makes it more unique makes it more exciting agreed now let's go back to what maybe needs to be reinterpreted and this is horse collar tackles in the toronto british columbia game of saturday bola combo comes around the corner grabs mcleod bethel thompson pulls him backwards over his hips and tackles him from behind after a challenge review it was decided that that was technically not a horse collar tackle mm-hmm. is it time to change the interpretation such that if a player reaches over the top, grabs the shoulder pads and hauls a player backwards, isn't that almost akin to the classic horse collar where you're grabbing just above the nameplate and pulling the jersey? Oh, that, that is a tough one. Um, it would be for people who are much smarter than me, but I, I look at it and think, okay, he did have his hand on the shoulder pad and and pulled down. Now, the the thing that I I guess my my worry is that how how do you have guys? One one of the cool things that we see in this game a lot is kind of guys running around the outside and getting back to the quarterback. And in this particular scenario, yeah, it it was, but it there was no intent. There was no hey, I'm grabbing you by the top of your jersey and hauling you down backwards it was i'm trying to wrap up and my hand went on your shoulder and you came backwards right so i i don't know that i would really look at that as a specific horse collar although i do i get where the you're, you'd be worried about him coming backwards on his head um but i i thought I thought overall it wasn't in the nameplate area. It wasn't grabbing a guy and like choking him back. It was it was actually grabbing all, including the shoulder, and and pulling him backwards. So I thought I thought it was okay. The concern I have is that the reason for the horse collar in the first place was 
you don't want guys pulled backwards because one of the legs usually gets trapped and that's where a knee gets blown out. You could have a back injury. We've, we saw it so many times that players who were pulled backwards over their body just suffered catastrophic injuries. And this is part of the rationale that I would put forward for why this needs to change. Granted, Lacombo did not reach right into the well, as it were, and pull, but he was so close that I don't know if that interpretation need matter. Now, the NFL has expanded their interpretation of what a horse collar tackle is. As such, the CFL may look at what they have decided to do and adopt it and probably would be the better for it, I would think, because ultimately safety is an issue and we want quarterbacks to play all 18. Oh, yeah, I know. I agree. I just don't want it to get to the point where, I mean, I don't know if you watch any NFL games on the weekend, but I didn't know what roughing the passer was. No idea what it is in the NFL because it's a guy got flagged for roughing the passer when he was holding the ball. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, it's it, and it and it was reviewed, I think. Anyway, I, I look at it and go, that was... I don't mind, obviously, yes, player safety is very important. And I want to make sure that we get that down properly. I just don't want to take it away from being a tackle sport. That's that's my only worry. So where's the balance? And that's a tough one. We could look back at rugby again. And when you tackle in rugby, it's hips to shoulders, nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Now you can, if a person is running away from you, reach for their leg and pull them that way. Mm-hmm. But you don't land on them on their back or anything like that. You are essentially restricted to hips to shoulders. And part of the reason is they don't really wear helmets. So you don't want heads slamming into each other, but also they're trying to protect knees, ankles, etc. The CFL, NFL, for the most part, follows that. But there are exclusions, as as it were, when especially when you get outside of the uh, the the tackle box, if you want to call it, the, where the mm-hmm. you know the lines are set up. Outside of there, you have a lot more freedom than inside. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Although, okay, so now I haven't watched enough rugby, but in rugby, when the guy comes around like that and tackles you from behind, even though you have shoulders, is that not allowed? And pull that way. But again, remember where the torsion is going. Yeah, well, that makes sense. But I'm just wondering if... I'm just wondering, because I mean, in that scenario, like that's, I think that's what Bo Lacumbo was going for was side, got top of shoulder. So at, at high speed, are we, are we going to just call that a penalty every time? That That's the part that I don't know. That's the, because I don't think there was, it wasn't like, oh, he's, he's getting away from me. So I have to grab his shoulder. It was, I'm trying to come around and tackle him. My hand came up here, you know, up on the shoulder instead of onto the side of the shoulder. I, I don't know how how particular we're going to get on those ta- those type of tackles. I, I do want the quarterback to be safe, of course, but I, uh, I, I don't know. When I watched it again, I'm like, yeah, because at first I thought, oh, yeah, that is horse collar. But then I saw he wasn't grabbing. He was just coming over and pulling. I'm like, well, I don't know. That's, kind of, that, that's a tough one for me. Yeah, it, well, it n- none of these are easy and it typically is a moving agenda, right? There's never an absolute concise, precise way of interpreting something. The reason why I think in this play, if you look back, if you have a chance and look back at it, you have to probably find it on YouTube. 
you look at the leg, the right leg of McLeod Bethel Thompson, and it is being snapped underneath him. Now, fortunately, he's on grass, and it gives, and his leg shoots out. If it doesn't, something's going to break or something's going to give. And this is where the benefits of playing on grass are so great, because instead of all the, the torque being launched into your leg, the, the ground gives, and you have a little bit of movement. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I wish they could all be real turf, but... We had a lot, we had real turf forever and I loved it. So, <laughs> but, um, but we all know that that's not going to happen at this point. So, well, there's tons of ways of bringing that back to life. I mean, the technologies I th- trust for grass, especially have moved along so far and Toronto, it's a bit of a weave of artificial in the natural grass. Why not all the teams look at that now? Part of the reason that they don't, it's because of the type of season we play in, we're getting in October. You might have to heat the field or something, costs go up. The other part of the equation is, especially on the prairies, as you all know, it gets dry in the fall. And so you're going to have to find water from somewhere. Now, uh, you can go to Wales, their national stadium. They have catch basins all the way around the stadium. They funnel the water in and they never have to call on any sort of uh, outside help for water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we, I don't know that we would get that every year, that's for sure. <laughs> we get some, but not, not the same amount as uh, England does, that's for sure. Yeah. So, and one last thing we need to touch on, and this is kind of a more of a niggly sort of thing to look at, but during the game, Saskatchewan at Hamilton, Danny McNannis is, he's the, uh, one of the, uh, I believe, assistant GM with the Blue Bombers. He had a great career with uh, BC, Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Hamilton. And he was awarded his name on the Wall of Fame for the Tiger Cats, which was fantastic uh, for him to get. The problem that most people had, and Twitter kind of blew up about it, was how long he was in the booth talking to Dwayne Ford especially while the Rough Riders were driving down the field. And every once in a while, Rod Smith would interject with the play, and then we'd go back to story time. Nothing against Danny McManus. He was invited there. Dwayne Ford is doing his job. The problem is, do we need it in the first place? Yeah, and this has been going on for a while. I, I mean, and I have a great deal of respect for Danny McManus, and and I enjoyed the first part of that conversation because I thought, oh, this is kind of cool and and nice to hear his stories and and him being, you know, brought in is pretty cool. I, I, I like that. Um, but this one did go on long and and some of the other ones have gone on long for sure. And and they also have had like in the Grey Cup where they have Keith Urban in there who really knows nothing about the game. Why are we taking all of this time to, to chat with him while the play is on? And I... I get the idea behind it. I just think there's another spot where it could go. Um, either that or or limit the time where it is just a very brief, hey, this person's here and here's your one question and let's get back to the game. Because in that Saskatchewan-Hamilton game, that was still a close game at that point. I, I even found myself going, uh, guys, like point the cameras at the field. Like if, if you don't want to call the play, at least let me watch the play. And that's the part that I was getting a little bit frustrated with. Cause I, I'm, I'm like, well, 
what what's going on? Like this is still close. I want to. I want. I tuned this in to watch the game, um, and that was originally my stance on it. Was hey, if they want to do the in booth interview, go ahead, but just keep the cameras on the field. At least I can see what's happening, and I'm. I was actually quite okay with that. But some of them now are dragging on too long, and they're they keep switching the cameras back to see the people there's a game being played and that's why we're watching. So we've got to balance that a little better for sure. I'm with you on that completely. I'm, I'm not one that enjoys those interviews in the booth because the reason why I tuned in was to watch the game. Maybe for someone else that, that is a great little add to the whole programming, but not for me. And I just, if I'm watching the game, I'll watch the game. If you want to bring Danny McManus in at halftime, Go for it. Go nuts. You can you can skip some of the analysis, and he can provide some of the same stories that he provided to Dwayne up top. There's a great forum for it. You could do it before the game. Uh, if TSN would have more pregame time and, and maybe make it a pattern that they always have a half hour ahead of the game so they could get some of these interviews in instead of just coming to the game for five minutes and boom, they're kicking the ball off. Build in that half hour show and there's another opportunity for, and then they could have had Keith Urban prior to the concert in the gray cup or all kinds of things that they could have could do differently, I guess. Or put a, put a three minute pause in between quarter three and quarter four and do it there. Right. Because at least then, because I get why they do it when they do, they want to have the person have their halftime celebration or show or whatever, and then talk to them about that moment as well as some history. And I, I totally get that. So you, you, you can't talk to them about a moment at halftime before the game. Like I, I get how that works. And at halftime, they're busy, so they won't be able to get back up into the booth in time for halftime. But then put a spot in between quarter three and quarter four and do the interview there. And if it happens to go into the first minute or so of the fourth quarter, as long as the cameras are on the field, guess what? I'm fine with that. At least if I'm watching the guys talk to the other to the to the guest, I don't feel like I'm missing the game. And to me, that that kind of is, the, like I said, the, a bit of the best of both worlds instead of just having it go on at the exact same time when we're, we're trying to watch a game. Or maybe they're doing that on purpose so more people go to the games <laughs> because that's the... That's everyone says it's better to be at home with your 80 inch screen and all those things. But if you're constantly getting annoyed by watching it, well, then maybe you'll go to the game. Maybe that's their thought. I I don't know. But obviously, I I'm not going to the game in Hamilton (laughs) when uh, I'm here. So I don't know if TSN would be that thrilled to be driving away its audience and then going to advertisers and say, we can do this and drive away our audience. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I mean, who knows what they do? They put out a poster today saying, which is your favorite? And they, with all these Canadian players, did not have a CFL player on it. Like, which league are you Are you the main supporter of? Anyway, I, TSN does a lot of interesting things in my mind. Um, so uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what their thought process is behind that, but I, I would agree that putting it in a little bit different spot and, and shortening up a bit would be very helpful for the rest of us. 
second down. Full slate of games in the Canadian Football League last weekend. We start in Hamilton with the Tiger Cats in a dogfight for the final playoff spot in the CFL. Take on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Blank the Rough Riders in the second half and win 18-14. to Cody Fajardo, who by his own admission has been auditioning to stay on the team, 24 of 31 for 259 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Dane Evans, pretty quiet, 11 of 24, 214, and two picks. Yeah, well, they didn't need Dane Evans because they found a running game in Hamilton. David Beard goes over, uh, you know, now quarterbacking that offensive line and that running game came out of nowhere and they used it. They challenged them to stop them and they couldn't. Wes Hills, man, what a game. Uh, I was very happy to have him in my fantasy uh, this league because he was he was running all over the place. So uh, I thought that was, uh, it was an interesting to see that dimension from the Tiger Cats because we haven't seen that in ever. And uh, they played really well with it and, and that's what carried them through. Dane Evans didn't have to be good. I thought... Cody Fajardo for for the amount of pressure and the amount of times that he got sacked had amazing numbers. <laughs> Still, there's only so much he can do, right? He can't will the whole team to to do everything, and and I believe he got sacked seven times. So, yeah, it, you can't can't do much when that's happening, no matter how good your numbers are. Wes Hills, twenty five carries for one hundred and thirty two yards for the Tiger Cats. Fajardo, yes, seven sacks against him. A couple, I would argue, were of his own making. He, unlike a couple of other quarterbacks in this league, tends to turtle quickly when he doesn't see what he likes out there. And he pulls the ball down and does his pirouette to the right. That is not benefiting you. You've got to keep your head up and you've got to keep looking. You could check out what uh, Vernon Adams Jr. was doing against Toronto. Under siege at times, kept his head up and was always looking downfield. Fajardo, that's his one piece of kryptonite, I, if you want to call it that, is that his inability to deal with the pressure. A lot of times, they're just in the area. They're not even on top of them. Well, maybe, but I, I would say that when you're sacked that many times in a season you get a little worried every time there's a defensive lineman close to you because what's he been sacked? Something like 56 times or something in 16 games. Like it's ridiculous. And, and we've, we've had offensive lines like that in Edmonton where it's, you know, quarterback says hut and runs for his life. And that's basically what's going on right now in Saskatchewan. So I, I don't, I don't entirely blame him for that. Hanging onto the ball a bit too long sometimes. Yes. Some there are quarterbacks that are kind of need to get better at that, not hanging onto the ball so long. Uh, and that so a couple of the sacks are on him for sure, but a lot of them were jailbreaks. 66 sacks allowed by the Rough Riders, by far the most allowed by any team in the CFL. Edmonton next at 50. Yeah, wow. And I pretty much can tell you who the top teams are that are not getting sacked. We know that Winnipeg is one of them for sure. Um, We know that Calgary is probably one and BC is probably one. You're not far off. Calgary leads the league with only 13 sacks Mm -hmm. allowed. Mm -hmm. And when your quarterback is standing upright or at least feeling comfortable in the pocket that 
he can get the ball out of his hands, you're going to win more ball games than not. Yep, absolutely. Five straight losses now for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This puts them in a bit of a dire situation. Hamilton now has a game in hand. Granted, it's with the Calgary Stampeders in Calgary. And of course, Calgary has that dubious distinction of not losing to any team that is not named Winnipeg or British Columbia. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. And so that uh, that game is going to be very interesting. And then it, even if Hamilton loses that, it sets up an interesting last two weeks because Calgary's got back-to-back against Saskatchewan and Hamilton has back-to-back against Ottawa. So how, how does that turn out for, for both of those, te- all four of those teams that are somehow still in a playoff mix? So it'll be uh, an interesting few weeks for sure. We move to the early game on Saturday, the British Columbia Lions in Toronto to take on the Argonauts. Toronto, again, managing to right the ship at the moment that it was needed, winning 23-20. to McLeod Bethel-Thompson put up the ball 40 times against BC, completed 27 for 352 yards and a touchdown. Vernon Adams was 21-32 for 258 and two touchdowns. The quarterback's availed themselves quite well. The Argonauts, though, it seemed as though their defense came up when they needed it. A hundred percent agree. I I thought this was going to be a BC. I thought BC was going to run away with it in the first half because they, they were, looked like they were in a rhythm. And then that Toronto defense changed that entire game. And, and they have been doing that as of late. The defense is definitely the strongest suit, I think, on the uh, Argonauts. And uh, they're they're playing very, very well right now. And they're finding ways to win games for that team. The Argonauts, who had time issues in the past in the last couple of minutes of a game, took over the ball after BC had kicked their final field goal and ran out the clock. One of those plays was going to be a pass, but McLeod Bethel-Thompson saw the seize part, took off for a long run, got a huge first down, and the Argos could control the clock from there on out. Got a give some kudos to the Hamilton Tiger Cats who had a seven minute drive against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders going into the wind. We talk about their running game. That was huge at that time too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Both games, you saw that clock management uh, at the end of the game really pay off for both teams. So, but I, I, like I said, I, I like the fact that McLeod Bethel Thompson did that. Like he found a way to kind of will them through that last bit. But really, yeah, the stars in that game were the Toronto defense. And the other part that you have to give some credit to Bethel Thompson is when the Lions took the lead at 20-16, to 16, it almost lit a fire inside of Thompson. He took the team down the field in mm. very short order, and they scored a touchdown to get the lead back. That is championship quarterbacking. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for all the detractors that he has, he steps up and finds ways, especially at home. They play very well at BMO. And uh, I, I, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to cause some a stir as they get into the playoffs here. Um, and they are they know they're in, so they're going to be able to rest some guys pretty quickly. So they're, they're going to have guys ready to come. And they have all-star receivers that are going to possibly be coming back as they get into the late stages of the season and into the playoffs. Yeah, T- Toronto's going to be a team to watch. Who do you protect against when you're facing the Argos? Eight different receivers caught footballs 
against British Columbia. Tommy Neal, who rarely gets a chance to be on the field, scores a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, I know. We were, I saw that and I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I would have known about him for that $2,500 fantasy deal, but uh, not so much. Um, yeah, no, they, they, uh, McLeod can spread the ball. If he's got the time, he can spread the ball. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what they do when they get up against. Uh, I mean, BC is is still a good team. Their defense is still very good. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm kind of excited to watch like a Toronto Winnipeg game and see what happens. Well, it's going to be interesting in British Columbia. We'll get to it later, but a certain player has reappeared on the practice field. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's going to be exciting. The late game on Saturday in Winnipeg, the Blue Bombers. Do we have to talk about this one? Can we, we we could just skip it. Well, we I think somebody did that night actually. <laughs> You're correct. Yeah. Anybody that had green and gold on decided, meh. Do we really need to just mail it in? It's fine. I think yeah. maybe they were at Canada Inn Stadium. That might be it. That might be it. Yeah. Winnipeg wins 48 to 11, dismantling the Elks from the word go. 14 in the first quarter, two touchdowns. 14 in the second quarter, two touchdowns. 20 in the fourth quarter, just to make sure. Edmonton just was pounded. Zach Claris, again, he is Mr. Max performance, 15 completions on 19 attempts, 241 yards, three touchdowns. Unreal. This guy knows how to get it done in very short order. MOP, unless something really goes sideways for him or somebody goes insane in the last few weeks of this season. He looks like the Zach Kolaris that was MOP material back in the early 20-teens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, he went off and you could see the the game started and there was there was some hope and that second touchdown happened and the Elks just shut down. They're like, yeah, no, nope, this one's over. There's no way we're coming back. Not when Zach's playing like that. And then they did the next two drives were both TDs too. And, and when you start the game, your four first four offensive drives are touchdowns. The other team has got to just be like, yeah, like, is there a white flag that we can wave? Because that's kind of where we're at. And uh, unfortunately, that's kind of where it is. Uh, there were some bright spots in the on the elk side. Uh, Christian Salisbury looks good as a returner. I, I'm excited to see him do more. Um, Dylan Mitchell continues to have a great year as a receiver, another hundred yard game, another great big TD. Those are exciting things. Uh, and Jake Ceresna, uh, continues to maul offensive lines. He, he needs a little bit of help up front and that's starting to come. We're seeing, you know, Mac Henry is, might be coming back right away and that will help. But other than that, the, those were the three brightest spots, on a on a team of a 46 man roster <laughs> so whereas winnipeg i could probably name 12 or 13 and and that truly was the difference in that game dalton shown pretty much has got his name etched into the rookie of the year trophy seven receptions 162 yards three touchdowns and every fantasy player's dream 41 points <laughs> Out of a seven thousand dollar player, yeah, I'll take it. Uh, he it, he's got to be in everybody's fantasy lineup every week because he just goes off, and it's nuts. Um, 
him and Calaris have some kind of connection as well. Like I, I don't know if he could do that on any other team or if it's just because of the, the link that he has with Zach. The late game on the weekend, early Monday morning, the Ottawa Red Blacks under new head coach Bob Dice go into Montreal, a place where they had won earlier that this season, and win again. 24-18 over the Alouettes. Ottawa with a big fourth quarter to pull out the victory, something that the Alouettes have been doing to other teams for the past few years. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I I did not see that one coming. I thought for sure that Montreal was going to wrap up that home playoff spot at home and send all their fans home happy. And uh, maybe the the turkey celebrations were a little too early. And (laughs) yeah, unfortunately, found Ottawa found a way. Exciting though, you you look at the way Will aren't called the offensive plays, and maybe we are looking at a, another guy that could be looking into an offensive coordinator position. I, I thought he called a good game, definitely had, you know, more spark for the team. And, and, and is that just the, the new head coach boost where they did really well because of that? Or, or did they just, you know, something gelled and they found a way under the new play calling. It's, it's kind of tough to say, but I'm curious to see when they have the rematch back in Ottawa and see if it's the same type of uh, outcome. It was almost a full house in Montreal. Which is fantastic. Nick Arbuckle for the Red Blacks, 28 of 32 for 229 yards, no touchdowns. Trevor Harris, 30 of 38 for 338 and a touchdown. You look at those two numbers and you think even game, lots of scoring. Defenses actually ruled the day for the most part. Well, what I think it was is both defenses very much played the bend, don't break, right? So there was a lot of field goals. <laughs> um, there was a lot of, 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 yeah, we'll let you move 40, 50 yards down the field, but then we're going to stop you. And that's kind of how the, the defenses went in this game, but... I agree with you in the fact that you have two quarterbacks that put up numbers that you would think that this was a 48-44 game. (laughs) But but, hey, um, that's that's the good and the bad of the CFL, I guess, is you get these great plays and you see a lot of action and you don't always see the scores, but sometimes you do, which we saw in the late game on the Saturday where somebody just goes off (laughs) and still has the numbers to get all the points, right? So... Pretty much a saw off on the number of field goals kicked by each team. It was who scored the more touchdowns. And Caleb Evans, another fantasy points pirate, mm-hmm. got two touchdowns for the Red Blacks. The only touchdown for the Alouettes, Eugene Levy. Lewis. Lewis. Eugene Lewis. Wow. I was going to say, holy, that, <laughs> Eugene Levy got a touchdown? That's amazing. I love it. Playing offensive line, John Candy. Uh, that's funny. Ah, Eugene Lewis for the big touchdown. Excellent. Eugene Lewis has been a huge cog in that Montreal attack, and it almost seems like if he has a big day, the Alouettes win. Almost, I say, because he has nine receptions, 108 yards, and a touchdown, and yet the Alouettes still lose. Interestingly, late in the game, Montreal is deep in Ottawa territory and on third and four decide to kick a field goal. Ottawa walks the ball down the field, kicks their own field goal. The Alouettes are right back to where they were 
would you have maybe gone for it on third down? <sighs> it's a tough call. I, I think that's Danny Machocha believing in his defense. And I, I, I can't say I blame him. The Montreal defense has played really well in a lot of games. So, I mean, their whole defensive line used to be on the Elks, so they must be decent. Um, so I think it's, I think that's just him putting belief in his defense and, and the defense made sure they didn't score the touchdown um, afterwards, but giving away the field goal. Yeah, it does. It, it leaves things really close. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know that I would have changed it though. You, cause you miss on third and four, you don't you don't get that first down. Ottawa's marching to get the field goal anyway, so I would I would take the. I mean, they were deep. I understand, but otherwise, I probably go for the field goal still. If you go for the field goal, you are predicating your notion that the defense will stop them, and you'll have one more chance. Well, the defense ish stopped them, and you ish had another chance. Now they did manage to get close enough for another opportunity and high pass goes astray and the game ends all of a sudden down at the 15 yard line of the red blacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, it was, it was close. They almost found a way, but. Well, let's, let's give Ottawa credit. Second time they've gone into Montreal to, and beat the Alouettes. And there was, if you want to describe it, that a lot of enthusiasm from the Ottawa Red Blacks during that game. They seemed to be much more up-tempo, seemed to be much more aroused to play. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. They looked like they were fired up. So again, is that that new coach boost, right? Where you just want to, you really want to play for the new guy and let and show him what you got. So who knows? Third down. Four games in week 19 of the Canadian Football League. We start Friday night with the rematch. Montreal in Ottawa. The Alouettes are negative 3.5 favorites. After Ottawa beating them, you would think, why would that be? But remember, Ottawa is 0 4 in the 2022 season at home. 0 for 7. Yep. And uh, don't I know what that's like. So that's, uh, yeah, you. it's... It's a way field advantage for Ottawa and the Elks. So it's, there's no there's no home field advantage. I, I think the thing is, is that I think a lot of us were expecting Montreal to win that last game. And winning back-to-back games against the same team is difficult to do. Um, unless you are one of those widespread teams where if it's Winnipeg playing Edmonton, one game is going to be close and the next weekend is probably going to be a blowout and they both could be Winnipeg winning. But in most times where the teams are fairly evenly matched, much like I think these ones are, Montreal, Ottawa, Hamilton, Ottawa, those types of things, it's more likely that you're going to split the back-to-back. And I think that's what they're thinking in this scenario is that Montreal is more likely to, to pull that one out and it's Ottawa playing at home. The impetus typically is with the team that's just been beating as you just been beaten as you pointed out. The other thing to think of too is Montreal's in a weird spot with Ottawa. The season series is two to one for Ottawa, but the Alouettes need the win to keep pace with the Argonauts. If they don't, and Toronto goes in on the weekend and wins, Montreal cannot finish first. Yeah, exactly. So 
the good thing, I guess, about that is that the Montreal-Ottawa game is on Friday night and the Toronto game is on the Saturday. So uh, Toronto will know what uh, what they have to do when they're coming into uh, to Edmonton on Saturday. You like Montreal on the road? Do you think Ottawa can finally get off that goose egg and, and win one for the fans in Ottawa? Mm, I think I'm going to take Montreal to cover on that one. I'm going to go with the home team. It's scary, but I will Ooh, do it. Ooh, look at you making it making exciting. All right. Hamilton and Calgary is the late game on Friday night. And as we indicated, the Stampeders, unless you are a team named Winnipeg or British Columbia, they will not lose to you. Hamilton is seven and a half point dogs going into this one. They've just won a big game against Saskatchewan. Hamilton is winless on the road. How do you mesh that all together? Calgary coming off the bye, playing at home. Yeah, Calgary covers that easily. I think. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like it's going to be a blowout. I think Hamilton is starting to find their groove. Like we said, they now are finding their running game. Um, you know, maybe Dane Evans has that that shot in the dark game like they did against Winnipeg. Uh, you never know, but Hamilton traditionally has not fared well at McMahon stadium. Not a lot of teams have, but Hamilton in particular has have uh, had a rough go at McMahon stadium. And now they're facing Calgary off the bye. I just, I, I don't see this as uh, a real big opportunity for Hamilton. I, I think Calgary takes this one pretty easily. I'm with you on that. The Stampeders at home, they can and probably will cover. Let's move to the other game in Alberta. The Argonauts up in Edmonton to take on the Elks. The Argos, four and a half point favorites. Last time Toronto went west, they got throttled by the Stampeders. This is not the Stampeders, obviously. Edmonton with the same woes that the Ottawa Red Blacks are facing, having gone winless at home. Edmonton coming off a big beating at the hands of the Blue Bombers. What kind of mental state are they in? The Argos with a big win over the BC Lions. Toronto wants to win. Even if Montreal loses, they want to win to secure first place. How do you read this one? Uh, Well, my brain says that Toronto wins, but I think it's closer. I'm going to say that that the Elks would cover. But my heart says we're finally getting that win at home. <laughs> they they got to win at home sooner or later. The Elks have nothing left to play for other than to win at home. And they have two games to do it. So can they turn around after that beating and go, yep, that's not who we are and we're going to be better and we're going to show up on the field for our fans. Uh, and the nice thing is that there's the U of A game earlier in the day at, at Commonwealth as well. So you can kind of get the, the back-to-back green and gold football. I, I'm going to say that there's enough emotion in there. That I, This is me totally picking with my heart. I say both the Bears and the Elks find a way to pull it out on Saturday. There's a, got to be a point that Edmonton wins at home. They have set the pro record for consecutive losses they have at times at home come close and either had a big interception or a penalty or something 
take them out of the victory lane. Toronto, as I said before, the last time they left their time zone, they got throttled by the Stampeders. They did come into Regina and win here. They are three and four against the West. My, my brain still says that Toronto wins, but not by much. <laughs> but, my, but my heart says, go Elks. And what kind of turf district host would I be if I didn't say that the Elks were going to win? The Elks have a winning record against the East this year. Does that help them? We'll find out. It should have helped them against Montreal, but they found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory there too. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I'll go Toronto and cover. The final game of the weekend, Winnipeg is in British Columbia to take on the Lions. What we sort of touched on, is it actually going to happen? Nathan Rourke is back practicing with the BC Lions. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't that be amazing if he was back and able to play? I don't know that he's going to be ready to play this week, to be terribly honest. I think he's going to need some time to get back into the groove. I don't know that Winnipeg is the one that he wants to play against with that defensive line, but... Um, uh, but but the the next option is he comes to Edmonton and then plays here and shoots the lights out at Commonwealth next week. So maybe I want him to play this week so that way then he doesn't have to play next week. But I mean, if he's ready to go, that you have to think that BC wants to put him in the driver's seat to lock down that home playoff game for them. Uh, and uh, so if he's ready... I guess we'll we'll find out in the next couple of days where where that's at. Right now, he was practicing. He was still on his own in the practices. Uh, so I I don't know if I don't know if he's ready yet. But if nothing else, in in a couple of weeks' time, we we may see uh, the return of Nathan Rourke and and nothing better for the CFL honestly to have that guy healthy and hopefully being able to play in the playoffs because it could make for some very exciting games. BC and Calgary are currently tied in the West for second place. BC has second because of the seasonal series is in their favor. The Lions have to keep winning to maintain that. Winnipeg going into the bye is 0-2 this year. Mm -hmm. The Blue Bombers also have really nothing else to play for because of their victory over the Elks solidified first place and Mike O'Shea has in the past started to sit people down to get them ready for the playoffs. My gut feeling is that the Bombers probably aren't going to put it out there as strongly as they have been. Does Zach Kolaris play the entire game? We don't know. BC at home. BC has been strong at home, but for two hiccups in the schedule, they've dominated at home i'm liking the lions in this one interesting um i'm i'm still liking the bombers in this game i think that they want to make sure that they send a message before the playoffs start that doesn't matter what team you are it doesn't matter where we're playing you still have to find a way to beat us and it becomes the whole rick flair if you want to be the man you got to beat the man and i i feel like they will they will stand up now my opinion will change if if uh, O'Shea decides that he is going to sit a bunch of guys and they just kind of like, it's okay, we're, you know, we're not really worried about it. Let's just, you know, make sure we're healthy as we get into the playoffs. 
then maybe BC can do some things. It's not like Vernon Adams is a slouch at quarterback, and it could be very interesting to see what he does there. But I, I, I don't know. My, I still, my gut still says that it's Winnipeg that finds a way to win this one. Winnipeg only is a 1.5 favorite, so that's telling me that the odds makers are kind of leaning towards Winnipeg, maybe putting it towards neutral and trying to coast into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The Blue Bombers, to their credit, beat Nathan Rourke and the BC Lions the last time they were there. Vernon Adams Jr., who is auditioning to either be with the Lions or be with somebody for the 2023 season, has got to put up some nice numbers against this team, especially to show that he can play with the big boys. I like the Lions at home and the upset. All right. Well, see? Hey, we didn't agree on every game. That makes it more fun. Oh, anytime you have differing opinions on who's going to win or lose, one of us is going to feel good and one of us won't. But the point is, let's have fun doing it together. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the one thing, though, is that uh, I suck at pick them. So whatever I pick tonight, probably pick the opposite. You'll probably do fine. (laughs) If you went with me all season, you'd be so far in the hole that you'd have to get a shovel to dig yourself out. (laughs) You and me both, my friend. You and me both. (laughs) Okay, Andrew. And before we wrap up, where can people find and follow you? Yeah, you can find the Turf District uh, anywhere is at the Turf District. That's on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And you can join us on YouTube. uh, That is youtube.com slash the Turf District podcast. And uh, we record usually on Monday nights. We're live on YouTube. You can join in the chat, uh, send us your questions and we'll answer those either on the show or in overtime. Uh, And uh, we, we just have a lot of fun as we chat more Elks and CFL football. Thanks for helping out this week. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again the Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.